0: Welcome to another episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, Brian Lesage. I have to say this far in the journey of season one has been a delight talking to the number of guests throughout the world. They've expanded my mind and I can only hope that they expanded yours along the way. This next guest is a phenomenal individual who drives home the prolific creator within. He believes that we all have the creative knack within us, that it's there, that it resides within. And after 30 years in the tech industry and right before the COVID pandemic, he left his executive position with no idea what to do next. And after the next nine months of experimenting and soul searching, he took up writing, illustrating, and engaging with other creators. And along the way, he found his own creator journey where creativity, meaning psychology, philosophy, kaizen, akigai, and more have been the sole focus of his content. And you can find more of this content on his new website, theprolificcreator.co. William Willis is a fantastic guest, and he dives into the stories of how we can unlock the creative nature within us, where it resides, how to unleash it, and what you can do to be creative today. Be sure to stick around through the entire episode for every tidbit and every piece of advice that he gives. It's worth your while. Now to get into the show. Hey, William, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really excited to have you here. We have uh, an immense interaction inside of LinkedIn that we've had prior to you coming on the show, but I got to say, first off, thanks so much and really excited to dive into your story. Really good to be here, Brian. Thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, One of my favorite things to kind of get the ball rolling into these shows and with my guests is to turn back the wheel of time. Um, One of my favorite questions that kind of start this all off, break the icebreaker question, if you will, is I want to roll back the wheel of time back to when William was a kid. I want to know who William was on the playground. What kind of kid were you?
1: Uh probably a little too curious for my own good. <laughs> That's probably the kind of kid I was. Also, I would say fearless. Uh maybe a little too fearless as well. Uh getting into trouble quite a bit. Uh, I spent a lot of time outside as a lot of kids did back then, running around the woods, running around the neighborhood, you know, going from one house to the next, uh building forts in the woods playing uh, games outside with my friends and just doing just crazy things. I honestly don't know how I'm still alive (laughs) from all of that. But uh, very adventurous childhood. And I think that shaped me in many ways
0: as an adult. Yeah, adventurous, curious. I I keep hearing these as core qualities of a lot of people I speak with, entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators. Was curiosity, you said, for your own good was probably too much. But how did you... Form your curiosity what, what did what did williams curiosity look like back then
1: boy i i was a big reader actually at a young age so i was reading quite a few uh, books mostly fantasy science fiction uh pretty much anything i'd get my hands on that was someplace other than this planet <laughs> uh really love that i love dinosaurs i love the things that you know, young boys my age typically liked back then. Um, and I love to reenact some of those things outside with my friends. So the forts we were building outside, if I saw those today, I'd laugh at them. <laughs> it's like, this are so ridiculous, small and rudimentary, but they look like massive castles to me. And that's what the imagination did for me as a child. i It's kind of like this uh, augmented reality as a kid that you have where you imagine these things and you make them real in your own life and kind of lost that ability as an adult over time. But uh, I even even to this day, so many
0: years later, I still remember the just how magical that time was for me. Yeah, I remember one time going back to my childhood, I used to believe that if you open the car doors of a, of a car while driving down the highway, it would just take off. And I imagined <laughs> every time uh, if we were going down the highway interstate, you know, if we just flung those doors open, off we went. And there I would just imagine that every time. So <laughs> I, I love the imagination component of creativity there. Right. I've talked about it before I've even had content on it how we're how we see creativity loss throughout childhood development and in, into adulthood as you kind of going back into that point of picking out that creativity now, if somebody's trying to ignite that creativity in themselves again, what word of words of wisdom would you potentially pass to them now?
1: One word really silliness you have to rediscover, the that it's okay to be silly. Uh it's okay to not be good at things. It's okay to be to get strange looks from people. Uh I mean I'm sure if I were able to kind of stand there as a third party back when I was in my my younger years, I'm sure I got a lot of strange looks. <laughs> I think people are shamed into not being as creative as they can be and it's it's orders of magnitude more than most people are being creative today. And they, there are certain expectations as an adult. You know, you, you, you play is for kids. Being silly is for kids. You, you need to be respectful. You need to be mature. You have obligations. You have all these things you have to do in life. And that's true to a certain extent, yes. There is that responsibility as an adult. But I would argue there's also a responsibility to yourself as a human being. And that responsibility in allowing yourself to be creative, allowing yourself to explore your interests, that actually makes the lives of people around you better. You know, you're a a happier, more well-adjusted person. You are a more successful person because you're being true to yourself, true to your inner voice. You know who you are and there's a comfort in that. There's a solidity to that. Whereas if you don't know that person inside, you're always second guessing yourself. You're always feeling easy, insecure, um, and you just you're constantly scared. That's the best way I can put it. At least that's how I felt. And so, I think that's the big problem today with creativity and adults. It's just that you know we're not allowed to be kids anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I I have to tie it back to content that you even posted recently about scheduling time to be a child again and allow that childlike actions and thoughts run free. Um, Too often, I believe that we do limit that. And like you said, there's obligations in reality as adulthood that we say, hey, that's a time and a space that happened and that's no longer. But that's not the case because I think the best ideas come to light when there are no limitations in place. So, moving into, you stated as well that you were kind of fearless at that point. I imagine you had to have some fears as a kid. What were they? I think largely being alone was probably my biggest fear. I did not like being
1: alone. I loved being around other kids, other other people, anyone really. Animals worked, I remember walking outside at night, which I did often to get back home because I stayed out a little too long, <laughs> uh, especially in the winter days when days were shorter. And, uh, I used to have this dog, this German shepherd named Clyde, uh, who roamed around the neighborhood. I love that dog for years. He roamed around the neighborhood and he would always come to my side every time I called out for him. So if I had, and, and typically walked a long ways back in those days, like, um, you know, back in my day, <laughs> but, uh. You know, I'd walk a mile, 2 miles, sometimes 3 miles. It depends on where I was, in the dark, by myself. <laughs> sometimes on these little two-lane highways, you know, on the side of the road. Uh, it was crazy what I did, but I would get to the to the top of the road of my neighborhood and I would immediately call for Clyde and it just he just magically would appear out of nowhere and just walk with me all the way back. And, uh, but that was, that was my biggest fear. I I didn't have a fear of heights. I didn't have a fear of doing crazy things of getting hurt. I thought I was invincible. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't afraid of trying new things, but I was afraid to be alone. Wow. That's, that's quite a story with the dog (laughs) Clyde, man. That's incredible. Amazing. Uh, It's, (laughs) it's one of the reasons I love dogs to this day, just because I, Clyde, I think was one of my best childhood friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just being able to have this companion that would walk with you on these on these nights that you're coming back doing X, Y, Z or whatever, and coming back to back home and having this yeah. this partnership, if you will, walking alongside of you. That's and you know you know what was
1: so amazing about Clyde. He never said a word to me. In fact, he never so much as barked in my presence, but he said so much. You know, just with his presence, just looking at him. You know, he, we just almost like we we spoke to each other without words. And that was just fascinating to me. That was just another magical part of my childhood.
0: Yeah. Again, tuning into that. And I think kids are more aware of that component Mm. as well is that there's, there's communication beyond vocal, right? Beyond words. There's a way you can get people to feel around you and dogs don't really have to say anything. They don't have to bark, but they, they give off that energy, that, that vibe, if you will. And I think that stays, stands the test of times into even now. That's yeah, amazing. It is really incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Getting into influential people, I know I had influential people growing up throughout my childhood. Was there anybody that was formative in your life that kind of helped William become William?
1: That is a very good question. I'm just trying to think in my younger years who that might be. I don't know. It's probably more just personalities I've never met. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I know, Bill Cosby is kind of out of favor these days, based on what he did recently. But uh, back in those days, days of Fat Albert and and some of these other shows that I, I grew up watching, they were very influential influential on me. Um, I remember Bob Bob Ross, you know, the happy mm-hmm. little yeah.
0: You know, happy Paint little in mistakes. The trees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, happy little clouds. Yes, a happy little branch. Uh, <laughs> Make this I, t- mistake into a cloud. Yep. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. I would literally just just stare at that. I did. It was like I was in a trance. I couldn't stop. When I was a kid. I was like, oh, that should be boring. Right? It's painting. It's this guy. This with this really soft voice. Um, but I just I would just like glue to it, like a, like Saturday cartoons, which are a big thing back then. I just could not take my eyes off of him. And I think there was there were probably some other people like that. And of course, I had the usual teachers and coaches growing up. But um, I think maybe my biggest influence was just the reading I did. I just read so many books. And you know what? I, I continue that today. That's the one thread between my childhood and now is I never stopped reading. I just kept all the way through. And I still have a fascination of the future and what the future holds technology um and also the uh what us what's expected of us human beings as we grow more powerful through technology that's always fascinated me fascinated me as well um you know how to deal with having that kind of power you know so i, I think even 100 years ago people would look at us today and we'd be like an alien race <laughs> Yeah, it would, it would look like magic some mm-hmm. of the things that we do
0: yeah just right now
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> what we're doing now like how am i, how am I talking how are you guys talking? You're like miles away. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and I, I think there were and there were some interesting sports figures. Like I used to be a figure skater on roller skates, not ice skates. So I, you know, I liked uh, Mark Hamilton. Was a big, yeah, you a know, big fan of his. Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of movie stars I was a big fan of, but I didn't know those people. I just knew their characters. But again, it was my imagination. I imagined I, I knew these people. I you know, I, I liked what they, I liked what their characters were and what they did and I related to them in some way and I always enacted that in my own life as a child.
0: Yeah, I got to say there's always those people, even if we don't ever meet them, that kind of have this influential spark in us. And and it could be that creative aspect of just, hey, that's interesting that they see that world that way and then try to carry that forward into our day to day. Moving through time and space, if you were progressing further, we see that you are now going into getting your bachelor's. You get a bachelor's in science and aerospace engineering. Is that correct? Yes, I was a yeah. rocket scientist in college. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Um, what makes what makes you do that? Right? What selects that? I know we spoke earlier. Is like I'm thinking about reading content of fictional books that are outside of Earth. Is mm-hmm. that the drive? Is that the immense curiosity of like what's else out there?
1: Yeah, it was. It was the science fiction aspect of my childhood and all the wild, mad you know, wild ideas and. You know, dreams I had as a child and I just wanted to go to space I thought it would be fascinating to be an astronaut launched into space and so when I when I, when it came time to go to college it was through, it was easy I knew what I wanted to do I okay I'm going to be in aerospace I could have gotten there through different routes but I figured hey let's let's design spacecraft <laughs> and so when I entered uh, Virginia Tech, uh, as an aerospace engineer, I had two choices: I could either be an aircraft engineer or a spacecraft engineer, and I chose the space route. And one of the funnest things I've ever done in life was my senior project, which is which is a whole year long. And you're basically you have a team that you work with. There was uh, I think six or seven of us. Uh, we worked together the entire year, and the project was to design a space station and actually get it into space. So. We we not only designed it, but we had to do the logistics of how to launch all the pieces into space, all the economics, the mechanics, the financials of all that stuff. Uh, And so I got into a little bit more than I probably wanted to, (laughs) some of the more boring details of that. Uh, But we got to create these little robots that put the space station together, and we used all these interesting ideas to save money, Uh, and we had to deal with the realities of space. Uh, you know, so some of the magic's gone there a little bit, but some of it, you can still find it in certain ways by just being creative about how to, how to handle the constraints of space. And so, uh, I was still fascinated at that time, but I also became aware that I'm probably not going to be an astronaut. (laughs) It's probably not going to work out. (laughs) It's not in the cards, (laughs) No, not in the cards, but I can, I can still dream. Uh, and I can still study space. But back then I was, I was, fascinated with black holes and wormholes and and all these these amazing objects out in space that were real i was fascinated i think at the time quantum mechanics was becoming a really big thing i think string theory appeared shortly thereafter so there's all these really interesting theories in science that i and think i liked about uh, string theory was that there's this idea of different dimensions it's like wow that could really be real like we we think of that as Science fiction as fantasy, but that could actually be real, and I was just fascinated by that. And so, you know, I Feynman was a big influence on me. I loved I, uh, Einstein's work, and I was just I could go on and on about all those people. But they became my new heroes during college.
0: Yeah, I, I love all of that, and I don't want to nerd out too hard on it with <laughs> everybody else, but. <laughs> Uh, I absolutely uh, resonate with all that and that the, the immense curiosity of what is out there, right? What else is out there that we don't know and how do we get out there? So when does the shift take place and what is your mind in saying, I don't want to be an astronaut, but there's other alternatives out there. There's other creativity outlets. And where do you go from there?
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say at this point that I, I let the world tell me that I couldn't be an astronaut. That's basically what happened to me. So right around graduation time, the defendants industry back then collapsed. There was a, you know, a b- big downturn in the industry. And so back then, almost all of the uh, companies involved with space were government contracting companies for the most part, because that's where all the, all the work for space was done pretty much. Uh, unlike today, where we have the Elon Musk of the world, it mm-hmm. might've been a little bit different back then if, if, <laughs> if he was maybe a more of like a contemporary of a mine, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, so there were, weren't really many opportunities. I think even the people at the top of, of my class were having, having difficulties. Mm-hmm. And back then, Virginia Tech was probably, I don't know, might have been the top five schools in the country for that sort of thing. So uh, that was tough. It was a, we, In fact, we even had a, a, a big uh, likeness of Darth Vader in our study uh, hall for air, the airspace engineers. And we had a lot of dark jokes, a lot of dark humor at that time. And so I realized that I, I probably wasn't going to get the opportunity I wanted. I wasn't going to be able to work at NASA, which was my dream. Uh, and so I decided to pivot um, out, of, out of college. I, I actually did some civil engineering, but eventually my goal was to fall into the software engineering side, which was still early on back then. Um, I mean, we're talking like, you know... Late 80s, early 90s is kind of when, yeah, you know, right after I graduate. So that's really when the, the, the software computer side is starting to take off a little bit. So in the Microsofts of the world and all these other companies that have been around for a while start coming out. So that's kind of the direction I started going in. And the thing I liked about software is just it's so malleable. I can do almost anything with it. There are some constraints, some technical constraints, especially back then in terms of memory. Uh, in this space, but I I could still create almost anything with software. And I was fascinated by that. I was fascinated by the video games I could create. I was fascinated by how I could actually create an application that would help me model the airflow over a windfoil of a wing. It just, it just seemed like I could do anything with it. So it's like, okay, now here's a place that I could really live as that kid. Again, I could make anything I could dream up
0: here and make it a reality in software. Yeah. Yeah, now being in the cusp of that new innovative component of technology, you know the the endless options. Obviously, the hardware is is limited at that point, like you're saying, the Mm -hmm. the space and the processor speeds and all the sorts. But but getting into that and just it goes, it's almost hand in hand with that. Here's a here's an environment. Here's a medium, just like space. In this regard, of that, there's endless opportunity. There's endless potential. And then mm-hmm. we're just pivoting into that. So you're finding that, and you're tr- running that track of what software engineer, software architect. Is that where we're kind of at at that point?
1: Yeah, back then for me it was just programming. Just um, I'm programming a computer. It was mm-hmm. a little more low level back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I did a lot of Fortran as an aerospace engineer, which is a language <laughs> that some people may not even <laughs> recognize anymore. Um, and some other like pascal for example is another one c plus so those mm-hmm. are the languages i used back then mm-hmm. and in fact i i programmed so much that i probably you know could have stayed maybe one more year um to get a formal computer science degree uh, in fact my father wanted me to do that but of course as a as a strong-minded kid i didn't listen
0: to him <laughs> so i just did it the hard way <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that happens. Those determined entrepreneurial minds, innovators, right? We believe we yeah, have it all figured sometimes. out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can do it on my own. I don't need to do that. Right. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Just again, moving through that, getting into the software component, getting into the creativity aspect of it all. Kind of where do we begin to see? the option of more creativity where we're i guess seeing the limits of software where William wants to do more when does that kind of kick in
1: well i had quite a career in software engineering so that you know i started as i guess my you know again but programming uh then i kind of moved into roles where i had the ability to design a little bit more design the systems that i was programming that led me to architecture and then eventually, I got into ex- executive positions later in my career. And that spanned roughly 30 years, actually. So, it was a, quite a long period of time. And it wasn't until actually right before the pandemic where I had just got fed up with it. And it was really more about a specific situation that I was involved in uh, that I won't go into too much detail about. But it was it was a merger of companies, and I wasn't really my philosophy on software development and managing teams was quite a bit different from the other people and it just didn't work out. But I'll also say at the same time, there was something inside of me that was just not happy. I just wasn't, I love software. I still love it to this day. Uh, In fact, I, I could geek out for hours, just writing software, making, creating things, making things happen on the computer. But um, I think it's just, it was the creative side of things that I was really going after there. It wasn't software itself. It was what software allowed me to do. And I think I finally realized that now. Um, What I think I was, what I think that voice inside me was telling me, was like, look, you haven't really explored all of your, your interests and you're getting older now. I was about 50 years old at that point in time. Um, Clock's ticking. You start to realize your immortality. Like, I'm not going to be on this earth. Maybe I I may have lived more years already than I have left. And that has an effect on you. You get a little bit more reflective about your life. You start valuing each of these days a little bit more. And that's why that voice gets more insistent because it knows it's running out of time. And so it's just this convergence of these things together. It's almost like the universe was pushing me. Uh-huh. It just pushed me into a ditch on purpose and <laughs> <laughs> said, okay, you you know, I've been trying to tell you for years and you're not listening. So I'm really going to push you hard this time. Mm-hmm. And boy did it. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the pandemic strikes mm-hmm. and then I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> this was a great time to leave my nice, nice executive <laughs> position at a product company. <laughs> that, was really, that was one of the best decisions of my life. Not. <laughs> um. But in the end, now that I look back on it, I realized just how how good of a thing that was for me personally. And I'm still working my way through all this, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But at the time, it was so scary. Uh, I was so unhappy. I was so just out of it. I didn't know which way was up. I didn't know what I was going to do next. So I fell back into programming for another six months after the pandemic started. You know, I was even making some good progress on maybe my own startup, working with some people to join me on that. Uh, and right before I pulled the trigger on that, I realized, no, this is not it. Stop doing that. <laughs> You're doing <No>. it again. <laughs> You're going right back to where you were before. Uh, and it's, it's because, again, software allowed me to be creative almost mm-hmm. without limits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it, it's at that point where I decided to do something completely different, something actually I'd always dreamed of doing. Uh, And something I actually did quite a bit of when I was young and that was writing and drawing Mm. those two things together. And I was like, I know this, I felt silly doing it. I felt weird. I felt this is so childish. And my wife is going to like, you know, get me checked in somewhere. (laughs) Just wondering what is going on with you? Like, what are you doing? Are you, is this your crisis, your midlife crisis? (laughs) And I guess in some ways it was. Um, but, That decision was very important in my evolution uh, and, and allowing that inner creative child, that inner voice to come out and play was to get all of these thoughts out on paper, to start drawing them, visualizing them again, like I did as a child. And it reconnected me in a way with my childhood. And it... I think it took a few other things to, to really get the writing and drawing going because I wasn't, I was kind of doing it a little ham fisted. I wasn't, you know, doing it the way that was best for me personally. I was trying to emulate other writers. Um, but I eventually got there and we can talk more about that. But I think, you know, I traded in one form of programming for another. So one is we, we recognize as we're programming computers, but writing for me is just a way to program my understanding to figure things out. It really literally became the medium of understanding for me. It's how I how I worked things out, how I reasoned about things,
0: how I how I gained wisdom from my experiences. Yeah, well, quite a story of again just, and I love that walking away from an executive role right before COVID with real no game plan. <laughs> yep, no and then, idea. <laughs> and then COVID hits, and you're just you're, you're staring at your wife at the dinner table. She's staring back at you, and you're just like, yep. <laughs> She's like, what are you going to do next? (laughs) I don't know. thinking about drawing. I'm working on it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I can only imagine. So for those people that (laughs) maybe want to try to avoid the universe, throwing them in a ditch, how can they proactively find this without having to be, and I have, I've had my own multidimensional, I like to say two by fours or what fours, right? To kind of wake you up and get you back in track of what you really should be doing. How can people find this without having basically these ditches or two by fours to the head? Yeah, it's tough because as human beings, most of us we just
1: dig in and drill in, and you know we just we worry at things until they're frayed and completely gone. That's just how most human beings are. Um, But I think the the answer is really simple, And and frankly, it's probably frustratingly simple. And it is you've just got to allow your safe self space to explore your creative interests. And some people might say, well, I'm not a creative person. Like why? I don't even know how to do that. That's for creative Pete types. That's for artists or or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but that's hogwash. I believe everyone is born to create. Uh, and I'm going to enter briefly into spiritual territory. So for those of you who are the weirded out by that, you can mute me for a second or whatever you want to do. But, um, and if you don't believe in God, just think about just the uh, nature or the vastness of what's out there, right? So I believe, you know, I was always told as a child, uh, and my, you know, they called me Billy back then. I said, little Billy, uh, you were born in God's image. That's what I was told. You know, I was raised as a, in the Christian faith. And that was a big thing, you know, that, that uh, I was told over and over again. And I was told that because you know they they wanted me to emulate the qualities uh, that Jesus had right so he's um, even even those who, who aren't christians like uh, you know some other faiths you know see him that way like this was a a very moral person uh, a very great example to follow in in terms of certain periods of his life and what he did and so that was the idea is like okay this is a great example of somebody to follow to emulate to behave in the manner of and so that's why that was always told to me but i never thought back then i never drew the comparison between that and creativity until recently um and, I, and it was a kind of a long winding path for me to get there but i was i was really interested in meaning when i was first started writing i was like what is the meaning of life was, you know, <laughs> i go big easy home. questions i go big or go home right <laughs> So, Brian, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to go for it, right? I'm going to go straight past the Big Bang, and I'm going to go right to what's the meaning of life. <laughs> and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 42, uh, you know? Yeah, and it was, and apparently people, we forgot the question, right, to the mm-hmm. answer. So I, I was not satisfied with that. So I had to go dig all that up again. And so, you know, that led me to Frankel and all these other people, uh, and I learned a lot. And I I learned that... Meaning is unique to each of us. I was like, that resonates with me. I really feel that, right? And so much of life is about finding out what your meaning is. But I still was a little unsatisfied with that because it's still kind of a very open question. And maybe that's there's a good reason for that because we're supposed to go figure it out, right? But um, I still thought there was something more. Uh, And it wasn't until probably a few months ago, actually, uh, I was having a discussion with Jake Housenden, who's a great person to follow on LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn, about creativity. And it just hit me like a, like a lightning bolt between the eyes. I was like, there is a general, uh, meaning of life for us human beings, right? There's a specific one to each of us, but there's also a general one. And the general one is that we are here to create. That's what we do. And I also drew a parallel back to my early days, uh, in church where they told me I was born in God's image. And I was like, I think I know what that means now what it means to be born in God's image is that we have the spark of creativity in us. So when we're born, you know, we're giving that as a gift at the time of our birth. And we now have the ability to create, right? Just like God does and not not just, not on the scale that God does obviously, but we have that spark within us and it's a very special gift. And so the reason I'm saying all this is because if you think you're not a creative person, Uh, That's why that's hogwash, because you're a human being, right? You were born to create literally. That is what if you think about what you do each day, you are literally creating one thing after another. Look at what we're doing here. We're we're creating a podcast episode together, right? We're putting words together. We're we're representing our experiences. So we have ideas sparking off of us that are going to fly right through this medium to whoever's watching and listening to this. Think about your children, probably, probably your best creations in your life, right? You helped create them. Just there's creating everywhere, but we don't look at it that way. We look, we have a much more boring idea of what it means to create, right? And so, uh, that's kind of my parallel to my, my own spirituality, but there's, if you're just a spiritual person, maybe you don't believe in God, but maybe you believe there's something out there that's some, some bigger force, something that's much vaster than you something that maybe you can tap into. Uh, Sometimes I see creativity that way. You know, when we get into these flow moments, we're tapping in to some abundant source that never runs out, that's always there. And I think the key with creativity is you have to find ways to actually plug in and commune with that source. Uh, And that's when you feel truly at home, truly comfortable, truly yourself, and you're able to express who you are as a human being right through your creativity. And so, the simple answer is find space in your life at least once a week to do something creative. So beyond the normal things you do every day, find something you would think would be a little uncomfortable if you shared it with other people, like hey, I'm going to go color today or I'm going to go paint something or I'm going to I'm going to put together a model train today. Or it could be literally anything. I'm going to I'm going to learn how to draw today because I've always wanted to draw and I, I think I'm terrible at it. Uh, but I I think I can learn how to do it or I'm going to paint like Bob Ross. I'm going to paint the happy little clouds, you know? Um, you can do it. You can do any of this stuff and you know what? It doesn't matter that you've, that you're terrible at it. All that matters is that you're interested in it. You love the act of doing it. And it just makes you laugh, makes you giggle. You just have fun. It just, you know, it just that's what life really is. It's all about. It's what really living life means, is following those creative interests. So that's the first step. If if you if you're lacking something in your life, if you if you're feeling that thing as I did, that probably means you've been repressing your creativity as a human being.
0: Yeah. We're totally misidentifying your creativity by just thinking it's boring. Right. <clears throat> There's just that's the true. components of Moving through life, like you said, if we, if we start to see that each day, each moment that we have an interaction with somebody, that we're saying hello, saying good morning, saying good night, asking somebody else how they're doing, we're creating a conversation yes. out of nothing. Mm-hmm. So changing that, that image there. And that's what I always love about the connection with this podcast and the art of mindset is that the formation of art is the creation of contextual patterns, is that this mm-hmm. can be anything. We're all creators. We're all artists, if you will. We have this notion in society that creativity relates into art, dance, music, writing, whatever it be. Mm-hmm. The components of art far secede that, right? They yeah. go way beyond it. And then they implant into our mind. So, when you're finding this component, this has to be a res- uh, basically a revelation for you, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're just starting to see completely things completely different. Right. Where are we going now? I know we're at this point where we're having stoicism or what's your purpose in life, Kaizen, right, or Akigai. Where are we at now and how are we integrating this on a day-to-day?
1: Well, let me back up a little bit first because this is an important point. I was told when I first entered this creator scene, and it was on the Twitter side when I entered this. So there were the David Perels, the Jack Butchers, and a, a bunch of other people over there. Who really inspired me as this thing called a creator? I, I and I still didn't fully appreciate what it was back then, right? Until I had these revelations. Revelations later, but I saw what they were doing. I saw how free they looked and what they were doing. I saw the abundance, right, that they were creating and then receiving in return. And I was just absolutely fascinated by that. it. Was it was almost like reading a fantasy novel? <laughs> it was just just. It was like there were wizards or something and they were just waving their magic wand and all these magical things were happening and i was like wow this is something else i really need to dig into what these these people are doing and so i did just that and i i felt this pressure this intense pressure not only the life pressure but the pressure on me as a creator and from everyone around me in this new world to identify what my niche was right that was the big thing you got to niche down figure out what your niche is, Here's how you do it. You find out these are the things that you you do well in life or that people always come to you for. You get the Venn diagram, put it all together. And that <laughs> thing in the middle, that's your niche, right? <laughs> so I'm, oversim- <laughs> I'm oversimplifying it and making a mess of it. But um, that should paint the picture, right? That everybody has in their mind when they're thinking about niches. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that is if you've been repressing your creative interests most of your life, you don't understand enough to know what your niche is. You just don't know. You you haven't explored enough of your inner universe yet to 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 have all those things to put in the Venn diagram. I only realized that later. So I went through a few failed attempts. You know, I thought uh, I thought at first I'd, I'd deal with maybe software people, which I, I I mean I have a lot of experience there, right? I thought maybe as a performance coach, like because I created high performing teams, a lot of them. Uh, I just, I went through several things and I I eventually at some point I was like, you know what, just shut up and just keep writing and keep drawing. right. I'm going to give, leave myself the space to write and draw until the end of 2021. So I gave myself a full year from the beginning of 2021 to the end of 2021. Let's just do that, create and see what happens, like explore your interest. And so that's why I started writing about meaning. I wrote a lot about stoicism Kaizen, which is really, if I were to boil that down, it's kind of a lot about continuous improvement, small steps, um, using what you have, finding what you need along the way, that sort of thing. Uh, there were other things like leadership and others. Uh, I was starting to get into some of the, uh, some of, some of the core creative concepts or creativity, uh, some aspects of the creator economy. And there was all these other little bits and bobs and some other aspects of philosophy. Like, you know, I started getting into what is happiness? How do I find it? That's what got me to Ikigai, and some and the similar concepts in other cultures. And at first, I was like, "Wow, this is a pretty diverse set of interest." Maybe I'm just a philosopher now. I don't know what's what's going on. Um, but I started seeing the patterns as I look back on my content because I'm writing and publishing five days a week. I'm putting out an article and I'm putting out an uh, an illustration with each article. So at the end of 2021, I'm sitting on over 250 articles, over 250 illustrations, and a bunch of other stuff I created. And that's a. it was overwhelming looking back over all that stuff. But I noticed some very clear patterns. There was probably a handful of areas that I focused on. And, and I could have gone anywhere, but that's where my tension was drawn. And then I started connecting uh, the dots between those things. I didn't even know there was a relationship between those things. But the relationship was creativity and the creator journey. Because if you think about it, Sto- you know the, uh, a stoic creator, I mean, that's what, what is stoicism about? Stoicism is, is about domestication of your emotions. It's about understanding how the human mind works. It's about using those things to your advantage, right? Being kind of outside of yourself, looking in, uh, getting different perspectives. You know, the obstacle is the way. Um. And if you look at all the creative blocks that people have, stoicism is a fantastic philosophy for transforming those blockages you know, into passageways. And so that's how that fit in. Uh, Kaizen, that continuous improvement, right? Do it in, take small steps, publish frequently, engage with people, get fast feedback on your work, and then invest all what you learn back into your work. So that's that um, uh, you know, build in public concept. That's effectively Kaizen. That's what that is. And so I just go through each one of these. Meaning, well, you want to do meaningful work. You don't want to do work that's not something that resonates with you. So how do you find something that's meaningful? All, so I was, looking, I was like, I was just astonished. I was like, wow, that's the th- that's the pattern within the pattern here. And I never would have seen that if I hadn't just let myself explore those creative interests. So I now believe if you're really looking to figure out what your niche is, what your thing is, you have to allow yourself to create, just let yourself explore those interests and then be sure to look back every once in a while and watch for those patterns to emerge because they'll emerge, they'll materialize out of your work. You'll see them. There's this uh, concept, I think it was, uh, was it Brian Eno? I can't remember. I, I learned this from Austin Cleon in one of his books, this concept of stock and flow. So really the flow is the work that you do every day. It's the stuff that you, it's the tweets you put out. It's the ideas you put in your little idea system, whatever that is, the connections you make. Uh, and then stock is what you build from that daily flow of work that you do. Uh, so it might be the book that you create or the, you know, the thing on Gumroad, There's some product on Gumroad that you sell, right? <laughs> uh, it could be a digital course or whatever. Uh, but those things are built out of the smaller little bits that you create every single day. And that's, I looked back and I was like, wow, that's exactly what I did. I mean, I don't have a lot of products out yet. That's, that's what I'm trying to do this year. But uh, I have all that work now to base it on. Um, and so stock and flow is not just good for building in public and knowing what that means and how to actually create and get the most out of it. It's also how you find out what your thing is. And guess what? You do it by creating. You don't do it by sitting there and thinking constantly right it's a constant cycle that's what the creative cycle is there is some thinking involved obviously and some reflecting but there's a lot of action a lot of small steps a lot of small experiments and that's how you figure it all
0: out yeah i think that's the biggest concern for a lot of people is like creating public you know building public and that that takes takes risk you know it takes risk to put stuff out there and a lot yeah. of people struggle with that but yeah you're vulnerable mhm you really yeah. are yeah. You're putting your ideas right out there for judgment and you got enough internal judgment happening on a day-to-day basis. Right. And then, True. you know, so yeah, figuring that out and getting out there and just starting to create. And I, I think the biggest, powerful most powerful thing you can kind of take away from that is just to put your criticism aside, your self-criticism and your criticism that you believe you're going to feel from the other people for creating something. If you're creating a business, you're creating an idea, you're creating a, po- a product, a service, whatever it be, just create it out there and see what the message is after a while. You're not going to come up with a unicorn idea, your first idea, right? You're, you're It's just not going to happen. And it takes time. Like you said, it's just continually creating, letting people letting that flow out right and that's the that's the hardest part is that consistency factor just showing up day in and day out so which where you're at now and i think that's where we're kind of focusing is that we can we see this creativity release if you will and we have the term in in which you've kind of uh, proprietary if you will uh, this prolific creator right this community of creators what is the benefit there
1: yeah. So the whole idea behind co-create is it's based on this idea of the, uh, the seniors. And the, the, it's another thing I, I learned from Austin Cleon. And I forget the guy's name who came up with the term, but basically what it is, it's equivalent to the kind of a group genius. So it's, it's not the lone genius, which is kind of a myth, honestly. Uh, you don't go out in the middle of nowhere and sit there for years and come up with just amazing things. Right. I mean, there are very talented people out there Mm -hmm. brilliant people Mm -hmm. who do have brilliant insights, Mm -hmm. but they need a medium to work within. And that's other people's minds. Mm -hmm. They need other people to challenge them, to teach them these little skills that they need to fill in the blanks. Uh, They need to play off of other people's creations. They need their perspectives Right? Because we're pretty bad at being objective about our own things that we do. <laughs> and everybody, I think, feels that. That resonates with most people. And so if you look back on all the greats, look back at the Picassos, you know, the Einsteins of the world, all these people, no matter who they were, there's some group of people they worked with. It could have been contemporaries. There could have been some really tough competition with these people. Uh, but there was, there was also a camaraderie there was there was a scene in which they all operated together it was organic it was emergent but you know these bright minds working together building off of one one innovation after another silicon valley is a great example of a really large genius right that formed uh, on the west coast in the us and so many amazing companies so many amazing technologies spun out of that of that itself um, and so what what the idea behind Co-Create is, is can we actually foster those type of groups of people where we we get, uh, and, and I think diversity is important here in terms of thought, you want people from different disciplines interacting with each other because that's often how innovation occurs. You get an idea from over here in this context and it kind of, ideas don't know boundaries so they're always floating around and, but you're exposed to it over here and then you think, oh my God, That's what I was missing over here. This makes, oh, I'm just going to plug this in over here. This is great. Uh, And then boom, innovation, right? Uh, And it often happens with these small observations you make, but you wouldn't have seen those things if you were just so focused on your own discipline. And so we want to create a space like that because you know, I'll I'll tell you out in social media land, the creator parts of social media lane are are actually pretty uh, nurturing. People are, for the most part are very kind, but you occasionally run into somebody who just who just comes after you, you know, uh, and it happens. Um, but I wanted to create a place where people felt a little bit more comfortable than usual in sharing kind of their most precious ideas and their and these little works th- that they have that are still kind of in the baby stage, and they may be a little bit vulnerable. Uh, because the nice thing about a genius is it, pro- it provides this protective buffer. Uh, so it allows you to kind of rebel against conventions. It allows you to kind of stretch the boundaries of what's possible, uh, while not getting locked down, you know, by the, the overall, uh, by, by society overall, because society likes safety. They like things that are familiar, just like we humans do I- individually. Um, but in a senior, so you need to stretch those boundaries. You need to really, to get, to get further, uh, for innovation to happen. And so we wanted to see if we could study creativity as students, be students of creativity and see if we can actually foster environments like that. Uh, I mean, I'd like to actually try to, try to document a whole pattern language around creativity and how to apply it, not just individually, but in groups, how it actually works, um, how to, how to make the most of it. Um, my partner, Jake Houston, he's, uh, he's bringing some spiritual elements into this as well. Um, everything from astrology to shamanism, to tea of all things. (laughs) I mean, you name it. Uh, there's just some amazing thinking from all around the world, from all throughout time, uh, that we've developed. And it's, it's fascinating to explore some of those areas when it comes to creativity, because creativity is tends to be kind of spiritual in nature when you really get into it when you're really in flow moments when you're really plugging into that source you actually feel it and in fact I'm putting in an article soon about what I feel when I plug into the source I feel there's just a vastness that I feel that I'm plugging into like it's just a it never ends right uh, and when I can plug into that's an amazing moment but I also feel there's a presence there there's something stirring in that vast ocean right? And that's the thing that speaks to us creatively. That's the thing that wants wants us to plug into it. That's the thing that wants, it wants us to channel its message through us, through our own perspective. And it comes out as kind of these unique creations. And I think the more often we can plug into that source, the happier and more fulfilled we actually are and the more successful we'll be. But the problem is we have to have the courage to make the space for it to say, look, I'm not ashamed to do these things, to explore these interests. Uh, It's okay to not be an expert at something, right? It's okay to begin something new and it's okay to revel in that. Uh, And that's part of, I think, uh, Julia Cameron in her The Artist's Way, which is an excellent book on creativity and creative recovery. That's, uh, it's a, there are all these wonderful techniques you can apply to really coax out that inner creative child, you know, that's been repressed for so long. And I think that's what another aspect of co-creator is all about is helping people in their creative recovery, helping them through the process of connecting to their childhood, of connecting a little bit more reliably into that source of creativity. How do you actually explore your interests? How do you find what's meaningful to you? Uh, You know, there's some skills involved in here as well. How do you put that all together? you know, with some frequency so that you
0: can actually become a prolific creator yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of power in that conglomerate mentality, if you will, where we're putting this minds, putting multiple minds, as you said, right, together into this thought think tank, really, where there's no bounds, right? There's no limits. There's no judgments. There's no preconceived notions, no biases in that point. And we just let it kind of sulk and float there and you never know what's going to come up man
1: yeah and you know i and i want people to realize one thing is i discovered this past year and i know some people have experienced this themselves there's creating yourself right but it it goes to a, a whole nother level when you frequently share what you create when you're frequently interacting with other people who actually are interested in your work, who value your work, right? And who are kind in the way that they, they speak to you and, and and interact with you. the Just the... Uh, there's, there's ideas, mm-hmm. and then there's a storm of ideas. And I think that's what you get. You get this idea storming <laughs> yeah. when you're working with other people yeah. who are also very interested in the creative aspect of what you're doing. Yeah. And I think... One of the biggest mistakes people make early on is they stay hidden. Mm There is this idea that Cameron has, Julie Cameron has, of the shadow artist, and I've kind of renamed that the shadow creator. So that's the creator that lives vicariously through other creators. (laughs) Um, They get, and you can even you can see this in life when you you actually get close to these people in real life. You might be managing them, you might be supporting them in some way, but you are secretly wish you could do the same thing. Uh, but the fact is you can do the same thing. You just have the courage to to go do it, you know, to allow yourself to do that. Um, and I mean, that's just a big part of this is connecting with other people. And that was hard for me to do initially because I'm kind of a shy person, uh, kind of a loner. I just like to go in my off of my little creative cave and do my thing. But I realized for the first time last year just how powerful the concept of working with other people co-creating with other people really is and it really takes your creations to a whole nother level in fact another level you didn't even think was possible and and the reason for that is because all the perspective the insights all the ideas that come from them they're just so different from what you would come up with and you get this wonderful alchemy of ideas it just mixes together and creates all these interesting new substances yeah. Yeah. No kidding
0: there. Wow. Yeah. I have to say just being in my own, in my own relation of perspective of creation and creating my own content, uh, when you find the pool, if you will, of people that are willing to hear you out, provide content, provide insight, perspective from their point of view, it's empowering it's really enlightening it's transformative it changes the aspects of how you see even the world around you and again it goes back to this mind and the mindset that it's there's neuroplasticity right we can mold the way in which we see the world and i think that's that's the biggest gift is that this never stops is that we can always create we can always change we can always mold our mind to different lenses and perspectives and that's why we need to create in my opinion in communities and like you said in the co-creator community i love that
1: yeah i mean if honestly if it if if you can imagine it it one day it'll one day be possible. I mean, think about going to the moon, right? <laughs> that would have been ridiculous. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Um, or talking to somebody all the way on the other side of the planet and you know almost instantaneously. I mean, you you name it. Flying like a bird in the sky in, in an airplane. It's just that's why I love the idea of imagination and creativity and these ideas because no matter how outlandish they may seem quite a few of them end up coming true. And that's because people had, uh, had the courage right, to actually go after those things. And yeah, it took a lot of steps to get there, but we got there. And we didn't get there alone. We got there
0: together. Yeah. That's no kidding. Yeah. There's a lot of power there. Just like you said, if, if you just focus on something and for a second you say, that's not possible, there's no way. Yeah. Talk to somebody a hundred years ago and what we're doing now would have never been possible. So technology speeds up innovation, speeding up creativity, right? How do you tap into that more? So I think the community, the communal component is what's missing, This has been an excellent conversation, excellent show. I always like getting a a couple questions to my guests as closers. Um, One of my favorite questions is what kind of insight would you provide to a young person that's listening right now? What words of wisdom would you tell them? Go have
1: as many amazing experiences as you can in as many places around the world as possible. That's probably the best way to sum it up because so much of who we are who we become, what we think we're capable of, Uh, even of course, what we create, it's all wrapped up in the experiences that we've had. Of course, there are some other things that come into play there, but I think the experiences more than anything really shape us. And so as as many of those that you can have, go out and get them. Uh, If you can't travel around the world, try to travel around the country you're in. Uh, if you can't get out of your own hometown, then try to do any everything you possibly can in that town. Uh, try to explore as many creative interests as you can as quickly as you can, and particularly before you have children, before you have a family. You know, there's there's these periods and all these seasons in your life where you have a little bit more opportunity to do this sort of thing than you would otherwise have. Because once kids come on the scene, they become the focus of your life, and you're really you're trying to bring them up and get them to where they need to be as, as good little human beings. Um, and then, of course, you get into my stage of life where now you're back to where you were before. It's just you and the wife in this nice empty house. Now we have dogs instead of kids. <laughs> um, but now I have more time again to explore those interests. So, but that is that is really ideas are the currency of creativity. And those ideas, you want them to be as diverse and rich as possible. And the only way to do that is to go interact with other people, go interact with other cultures, really to expand your mind. I mean, there's some crazy stuff happening out there, right? And some
0: crazy fun stuff happening. Go out and experience some of it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Just to explore. And then when you run into that limitation that says, oh, I don't want to go do that, or no, that's not that's not what I'm into. Yeah. Question that. <laughs> Right. Why, why do you believe that that's not something you want to do or some book you want to read if even that, if you want to go on an exploration internally? Yeah. Pick up. Yeah, books discomfort's
1: that- required for growth. Mm-hmm. And so get used to living in that discomfort, that
0: area of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's powerful. Closing question. I know you're a technology guy. I know you're a futuristic thinker. You said it earlier in the show. I love that same thing. There's a lot of good books out there. But what's one thing that excites you most about the future? Uh,
1: Well, one really interesting trend I have that brings me back to my roots in space and space travel and exploring space is the commercialization of the space industry. That really has me excited because... But, you know, NASA was just, they could do no wrong, it was just such a dream to me as a kid. And, I, and I'm just so thankful for that because it shaped me in so many ways. But the, the problem with something like NASA, and you have other it countries, it's, it's, it's one agency, one space agency, one way of doing things, right? One leadership team, one group of astronauts, you know, it goes on and on. When you, when you commercialize space, now you have all of these little companies, right? All these people with these different ideas and different ways of approaching space. Uh, I mean, if you're just looking at SpaceX versus Blue Origin versus some of these other companies, I think that's fantastic. And that's an example of pushing each other to the next level. If you just had the one there, there's not really that motivation necessarily to really push the boundaries and, and really explore what's possible uh, these people are really in a race honestly and it also offer also, it also offer offers an opportunity for more people to experience space and the benefits of space and what's out there and some of the things that we can do in space uh, as human beings and as humankind and so that's
0: one of the things that really excites me right now is, is just the commercialization of space yeah uh-huh. Gotta agree, it's gotta be fascinating, you know, and how technology again, as we said earlier, is evolving so quickly and competing each other and now those rockets landing themselves and being reusable and it's like That's crazy, it'll be raining cats and dogs soon. The channel bill murray <laughs> yeah i <laughs> uh, gotta go to the moon for a vacation you know on spring there break <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's happening it's coming so well it william is. it's been great chatting with you i really appreciate your insights and creativity and tapping into it and getting back into that flow and that abundant state of creativity that's found within so again thanks for being on the show and i, I really appreciate it thanks so much brian it's been a ton of fun we could probably go on for hours yeah (laughs) we definitely could (laughs) listeners wouldn't like it though so probably not (laughs) all right thanks so much all right take care brian and that's this episode of the art of mindset with your host me brian lesage as always i recommend you go and check out my guest linkedin page their twitters as well as the websites all this information can be found in the show notes below the creator journey is one that is long and unknown, but is always worth it. And as always, stay curious, keep expanding.